This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by Gear NC, written by Claire C. Marshall and available at both the Saskatoon and Edmonton Expos coming up in September. Attention, citizens, it's time for Super Pulp Science. They didn't think Deathstroke was powerful enough and somewhere in the editorial, so they added the Terminator to it. Well, that was that already a movie at the time, or was it before the movie? No, the character Deathstroke. But so his real name is Slade Wilson. Oh, I see. Okay. And so, so often they just, they just call him. Slade. His name is Slade Wilson. Yeah. As a, like Wade Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. That's so weird. Is that and that came before? I don't know. Deadpool. Um, no, Deadpool's after. Came yeah, after. Yeah, Deadpool's fairly new. Yeah. And if you think scene. about Deadpool, Deadpool is just Spider-Man with guns. Yeah. Well, no, so yeah. he's yeah, he yeah. can heal though. Like no, he's no. got okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. Spider Man with a little bit of Wolverine and guns, but, but his costume like, is his costume looks yeah. like Spider Man. Yeah. yeah, okay. And uh, Spider Man plus Doctor Strange is Spawn. <laughs> That's true. That's right? true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, Spider Man plus the Hulk is Venom. Yep. Basically. Mindless. Uh, with a little bit of the Joker talking. A little bit of the right, yeah. And I guess Carnage would be more the Joker. Venom isn't too maniacal. I'm just thinking about visually. But in, in, those, those yeah. um, all those spider villains are all derivative of Spider-Man. That's the whole point of it. Yeah, it's all mm-hmm. Well, and it's okay. So I guess we started. This mm-hmm. is super pulp science. We're talking about how genre gets made. We're, We're talking about how much genre. Conversation. You know, this is interesting actually, given that uh, last week or whenever week that was, we were talking about how. All the comic book companies stole from each other when they were making characters, so and they do. But it's, but it's, it's part of it's part of like recombining the tropes in a way that the existing audience says, "Oh, I see what you did there. I like those parts." So on the World War Weird uh, graphic novel and role playing game that I'm working on right now, um, it's all about remixing versions of characters you've already seen. But some of it is because those characters there's five or ten analogs of them that exist in the public domain. Like, there was, there was a lot of publishing competition, and the comic characters that are the most famous now are the ones that survived that pulp publishing cull. Oh, okay. So there were a lot of, and I, I'd have to uh, go into my notes, but there were like 15 Superman analogs okay. that were on the racks at the time. Uh, his was the most. You could argue that this, like the character Superman, was the most stating up front the premise of the character. He's a Superman. He right. didn't have like other like a weird name or like what was one I saw? Sparkman, for example, is a Superman <laughs> analog. From you can look it up. Just type in, dear listener, Sparkman public domain. You'll find some very strange uh, art related to that guy. Um, but there's lots of Superman analogs from the same period in comics so it's like oh you see this is hit let's make our own version of this right. same thing with coke it's just, it's it is like when coca-cola came out there was a bunch of versions of different types of colas right. but you there's some strong evidence to suggest that superman is following that trend he's an analog of a bunch of other characters is he yeah oh, okay so you know there's nothing new under the sun you just everything is a remix of something yeah, it's a remix of oh something have else. you guys ever seen that kirby um I don't remember his last name, but he does a TED talk on everything's a remix. And he talks about how 
Uh, it starts with Bob Dylan and how Bob Dylan is ripping off other people's songs mm -hmm. and, and basically mm -hmm. kind of repurposing Constantly. old folk songs and folk tunes. And that's and he, but he gives all these different examples. I just I'm, I'll link to it. I can't remember the name of the the guy. And I'll, you don't always know deep down why you're doing a thing. Like I was, dear listener, just before the podcast started, I was doodling in my notebook here as as I want to do, and Dan looks over and he says, "Oh, that looks like the mutants from the Dark Knight Returns, the original uh, Frank Miller." And He's 100% right, but that's not... I had, did not have that in my mind. Right. I was making like a superhero analog, kind of weird glasses guy. But if you ha are familiar with The Dark Knight Returns and the mutants and how those like punk rock dudes dressed, I basically didn't even realize but, but is, is that going to change the way you look at that now totally okay. now i have to like Shoot. i have to sorry i have to uh, like pivot away <laughs> damn it it looks and, good it's a good drawing and i'm not i don't think a lot of people would have that um would have that uh thought when they saw it right not everybody we were talking also about how but I think this in, is a good topic actually yeah okay hold on i want to make a point. okay go ahead intent matters okay so when you're saying like oh well now that you know will it change it well now that i know that that is probably where deep down the idea was in my psyche. It does make me change or pivot. If I had continued... Were you going to add some mohawks and more yeah, punk elements to... Whatever else would have happened if I hadn't been reminded of that might have all been me. But now I won't be able to shake the bits that are that derivative nature. So I'll have to pivot away from this in order to like have my own okay. joy in making yeah. it. And I think that that intent matters when you're making stuff if someone said when you're finished a piece if someone says oh that reminds me of this and you did not have that in mind at all it might in fact be true or it might even be close to some other thing but if that's not where you started and that's not why you did it some works of art are the answer to certain questions right right so if you're trying to design for example a giant fighting robot eventually there's going to be and there's supposed to be a human pilot in it. There are only so many places to put that human pilot and so many ways for them to interface with that human pilot. And so you may make, uh, you may come up with the, what you think is the most original mech design ever. And someone will look at that and say, oh, that reminds me of X anime from Japan. Well, I was going to say robot jocks. Right, robot jocks or whatever it is. <laughs> right? Del Toro had the mandate. He wanted to make, yeah, the Jaeger designs not look like Gundams and not look like Voltron and yes. not look like... And they did a pretty good job, but it's hard not to yeah. lump like it's and and make the interface something we've never seen before. That was interesting as that well. Yeah, I, I think um, I was just watching a video about this yesterday about uh, Pacific Rim, and about how all those Jaegers are designed differently. All the ones are like very different. The one yeah. from Russia, the one from yeah. uh, China, I think is the other one. And there's a bunch of different nationalities. Yeah. The one from I love the one from Russia with this giant nuclear reactor on his yeah. head, like this yeah. crazy looking thing. Um, but yeah, going back to kind of what we were discussing at the beginning here, uh, we were talking about you're talking about the movie Brightburn, which is another, another analog of Superman. Right. And I was talking about The Boys, which is uh, on Amazon uh, right now, Amazon Prime. Is work, yeah. What's that? And and that's another analog of Superman, but that's more deliberate. So I think right. the intention there is to say, what if Superman was like this? I don't want to give anything I away. I think everybody's getting a little worn out with the classic feel-good superhero movies and we're all ready for a bit of change of pace well what's funny about that is that the 80s the pivot away from clear-cut heroes that happened in 80s comics to a more gritty more like influenced by the world stage 
is now happening in the movie universes. Yeah, like you just get exhausted with the same thing over and over again, and you change the tune. So these like these comic books, like like uh, the boys. When did that start being published? So I was running Early my own 2000s? comic store then. Really? So, oh, I don't know. That. Yeah, that's uh, God. Yeah, that'll be early two thousand somewhere. Okay. But they they invented the internet for this. Oh jeez. Okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> fine, I'll Google it. Um, it was by the way, Kirby Ferguson is the name of the guy. Google that. Um, everything's a remix. Check that out on YouTube. It's a very good TED talk, uh, and he just has gives this good premise for you're not stealing. You're you're taking something. You're make you're remixing it, making it something new. That's what a remix is. Mm-hmm. So go ahead. I'll Google the boys. And like, you know, if you're thinking about, but what about copyright law? Let's say you're a really litigious person. Think of it like this: if someone can say that reminds me of Superman, uh-huh. but when they look at the specific references. They're all different. You're fine. You can have a giant guy in a cape who shoots lightning or shoots lightning or rays out of his eyes. Doesn't matter. He can even have a big letter on his chest. But as long as he didn't come from Krypton, he's not the last son of Krypton. He wasn't raised by uh, the Kents, right? It's your own version. You can make your own Batman. You can make your own Superman. You can make all these things. But the problem with derivative works is that it points people back to the source. Okay. Which isn't always a bad thing. No, it's not a bad thing. But what I'm saying is, if you're hoping to make your mark, making a derivative work is probably not the best move. But if you've already made a mark, or you're doing lots of different work, playing around with derivatives can be fun. You know, Garth Ennis, Preacher, is one of the most original comics probably in the last hundred years. As in ever. Right. Because comics yeah. have been around for not much more than right. 100 years. Um, so you can say Garth Ennis already did his original work. So if he wants to make a derivative work in the boys of like, oh, what if everyone was tired of superheroes and it turned out superheroes behave just like rock stars do behind closed doors? They're dicks. Mm-hmm. He's right? good at making you go like making a scrunched up face and going, oh, God. Yeah. As that happens to that person. Yeah. I'm, yeah, that, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this is just the uh, Wikipedia on the boys. Um, Ennis has said that the boys would out preacher preacher, presumably referring to the extreme violence and sexuality that were that series hallmark, <laughs> yes. which is yeah, it's pretty pretty accurate. Yeah. It started in October of two thousand six. Two thousand six. But so, preacher the show or preacher, preacher the, the comic, comic book? Because preacher the comic I think was a lot more terrible than Oh yeah, no, I I, I was couldn't um, do that on TV. I there was a character um, Star. All the things that happened to Star I don't think they can do on TV. Although now I haven't caught up with the most recent there's too much to watch <sighs> there is have faith and never give up hope we were talking on another episode about uh with nicholas burns about how much entertainment there is now do you guys ever get the fatigue of how can i possibly watch all of this it almost feels like a job to consume yeah. this much pop culture media where do you draw the line and how do you make that distinction I do feel that way, and I also feel um, like almost anxiety when it comes to choosing something new to watch, uh, because like I finished Boys, the Boys, the other day, and now I'm like, okay, now what? And there's a million things to choose from as far as different series, but also at the same time, I want to rewatch um, The Expanse because that yeah. new season is coming out right. uh, in a couple months. So I'm like, oh, I want to watch that. I want to watch. Um, I want to rewatch It because the sequel to It is coming out soon. So I could not decide last night. I'm sitting there like looking. Literally, I've got the Netflix like. You know, scroll thing happening, right? You just can't so, is there? Can't a, so go ahead. Do you guys also feel like um, I don't? I don't have normal TV. I haven't had it like since 
don't think I've ever in my entire life had normal TV. Um, yeah, me neither. Actually, I do. I, I have, have Netflix and Amazon Prime, and that. Keeps but we both me... grew up out of regular TV. Like yeah. we didn't have. I didn't have cable growing yeah. up. I couldn't have cable. So anytime up. we stay at a hotel and we throw on the TV and there's actual commercials, you like it hurts my brain <laughs> yeah. that I have to put up with this. Um, but I just have yeah Netflix and Amazon Prime, and I find it's such a like an expanse, like a gap between the quality. Like when I'm, I usually, if I'm interested in something, but I'm really not sure, I'll look it up and it's either like a two out of 10 or like a nine out of 10. There doesn't seem to be much in between. It's, it's all garbage or amazing. Um, where's the mid ground? Doesn't that, isn't that in Is our... it just me or does like Netflix and Prime seem to have like, there's not a whole lot of middle ground. It's, you it's mean one... like in their own star ratings or in the, They're just in their own original content. I think in, you're talking about no, no, all their content. Okay. I don't know. Hmm. Oh, I never thought about it in those terms. I just know that um, there, there's a lot. To, <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> there's a lot to choose from, and um, they're almost like these studios are stumbling over each other to put out the, this new content. So you go sign up for their subscription service. Um, I also have Crave TV, which is a. And the only reason I have it is because it also includes HBO, which which is HBO is releasing the Watchmen series soon. Uh, I know you have mixed feelings about that. Oh, but, oh man, this is all coming together. Um, and I ran into uh, James Gillespie today uh, at the college getting coffee, and I said, how excited are you for The Dark Crystal? And he's like, very excited. And okay. that's something, again, that's a reboot of a series or, or reimagining of a film. Yeah, it's pure hypocrisy, dear listener, that <laughs> so, I am upset that they're remaking The Watchmen, but I'm thrilled that they're remaking The Dark well, Crystal. Tell us about why is that, though? Why are you feeling that way? I feel like and now this is just my feeling, but my sense of what I know about the Jim Henson Company is that the people employed by the Jim Henson Company and the thrust of the company in general is more focused on making something that's new and artistic in general. Okay. Now, in general, and I know that's a sweeping generalization, whereas HBO lately has just been doubling down on boobs and blood. And I... I, I just feel like that's maybe the wrong Well, it shouldn't avenue. all be boobs and blood. Yeah. There should be other elements as well. Um, I have to say about... No, the... I'm not a Puritan. I'm just saying <laughs> but... that what excites me about The Dark Crystal is that I can watch boobs and blood everywhere now. The boy, like every streaming service has some ultra-violent content that I can watch. It used to be a novelty that you yeah. got that on HBO. Yeah. Now everyone's got it. The novelty now is that somebody is going to make... An exciting all-ages adventure story on a big budget. What? I think part of the reason that I'm excited for The Dark Crystal is because the original film was not very successful. Um, it yeah, was, under the it, radar. Yeah. It was not, uh, and, and it was one of Jim Henson's, like, just his, um, you know, just a, a, I don't know the term, I can't think of it, you know, just a, a love that he wanted to get made, this idea of this whole thing being... Yeah puppets and everything he was just like and i was watching a series on jim henson recently about how he was doing that and he was also trying to do um i think it was fray Rock was in production at that time and and so he was handing that off to other people he wasn't as involved in fray Rock as he was in the muppet show but the idea of like them taking that and making it a more epic series which i've always thought it's could be like this world is so rich yeah that, that i would love to see more of that world and what i've always loved about the dark crystal uh, as a world building is that so much of the film there's probably 20% of that film that's just a tracking shot across the landscape and everything in the landscape is an invented 
flora or fauna that's interacting in an imaginary ecosystem and you watch it all unfold like the bug get eaten by the weird creature and then the weird creature get eaten by the plant and then the plant you know it's all puppets and it's all puppets and the entire landscape is a giant puppet machine and then the puppet characters are moving through that landscape and the entire like the level of creativity and artistry and craft that goes into it is different than CGIing laser beams to melt a woman's head, right? Which is like what we get on the other side of the spectrum now. If that level of craft, like the bar that they set in the original, which did fall under the radar, people didn't get it then, but it's become a cult classic now. Well, for sure, yeah, everyone loves it. If they put that same level of effort into it. And they did? Well, I don't know. Like, seen, I, I, I don't mean, know I much went... about the making of this series, so I don't know. I assume they're going to keep like the main characters puppets, but there's got to be some CGI elements to it. And here's a game that is often played. They're going to show you everything that meets your expectations in the previews. So the previews I saw make me very excited because it looks like the stuff that I loved as a kid. Yeah. But they also made previews that look like there's a fair amount of CGI. It's like whoever it is they were marketing it to, whichever generation, there's a trailer for whoever they're pointing it at. Because <laughs> the younger kids won't care about the CGI because they not, didn't grow up with the with the original Yeah, they won't one. care that it's puppets. They want sweeping expanses. Right. And there's a trailer that seems to be all about this you know, imaginary CGI world that they fly around in in one of the scenes. And in the other one, it looks very grounded and physical and all. So I can, you know, so I don't know. Maybe it's awful. Maybe I'll hate it as much as I think I'll hate the Watchmen. Maybe you'll like the Watchmen. And maybe I'll like the Watchmen as much as I hope to like. (laughs) But at the same time, it comes back around to what we're saying. Is this just our job now? Are we paying to show up for eight hours or 10 hours or 40 hours a week to watch other people's content? And does that have a net negative gain to us as people? I don't think so. Although Nick was talking about spending our lives you know in our basements watching this stuff and how that's not a good thing and we are we are kind of doing that um yeah like instead of engaging in the political process do we watch shows that are politically motivated or politically charged instead yeah probably like we we would rather watch as a society i think we'd rather watch a comedian do a faux news show about politics than engage in politics at all. I, I do both. What if what can't can't you do both? Well, you can, but yeah, okay. you're a rarity. That's <laughs> I don't why know. that's why we like you, Dan. <laughs> right? You're a high functioning nerd. Our galaxy is split into two warring factions, our own, and the one ruled by the evil count. So, when it comes to new ideas for you guys, when you're thinking of you know you've got your sketchbook here and this this character. Um, you, you don't. You just you just draw it out and and see where it goes, and don't worry about where it came from. I actively acknowledge and think about how I'm harvesting good ideas from other creators. Okay. So usually when I'm starting out a piece, I'll come up with a bit of a thumbnail, um, but then I'll go kind of you know wandering through the internet and like, oh my god, the background on this is great. The color scheme is great on this. Like I love how they did the pose on this one and I'll grab like little bits from all over the place and like I'm you know a collage artist as it when it starts out and then eventually it like what's what I kind of grab from other people and what ends up being the final product is very different but the source is always like me finding what other people are doing great and trying to duplicate it. Have you ever ever, uh, like put that out there like put your kind of inspiration for that stuff out there as far as 
Mm, not really, no. Be interesting to see that. Yeah, and I wonder. Like the mood board is yeah, just yeah, yeah. what we call it. Yeah. yeah, you know, and everyone we know who works as a professional illustrator, even a, even non-professionals who are just like getting into it, they all have those hidden layers in Photoshop. They all okay. have the stuff that gave them the push. And I think people tend not to share it because they fear that the un initiated audience will assume you're just copying yeah rather than standing on the shoulders of those giants you everybody know, wants you to be a puritan and like yeah go from scratch and work in a vacuum yeah you know and, and it's funny because people will say you know if i'm if i'm at a show and someone's like oh can you sketch me that character and i'll do a rough sketch of that character of spider-man you know, of whoever, okay, right? Of you know, let's say it's something out of a book I've done or whatever. That's what I'm saying. Is and it your character say, you created, or is it character that it can be either? Okay. But you know, sometimes the question comes up: It's like, um, how come this version and this version in the book don't look exactly the same? Don't you draw it all the time that way? And I'll have to say, well, I use computer. Make one art, please. Right is what they think when you say <laughs> as soon as you say computer. But it's like. Because I am able to use Photoshop to say, oh, that chin is not exactly the same as I did it last time, adjust. Right? Okay. The control Z element of art when you're working digitally means that if I'm asked to draw something perfectly the same in two instances with my hand, there's probably a 20% difference every time. But on the computer, I can change that 20% difference in 10 seconds or even just using a light table and tracing over your own drawings over and over and yeah, which, over again you know which sorry guys dear listener if you think that all comics are made from scratch like that they are not uh how a lot were at one of, time right were they at one time mm, mm, <laughs> no. no like the for example more, archie yeah they have like portfolios with like thousands and thousands of pages of every single pose and element of Archie broken down into sizes and angles and stuff. Nobody's drawing Archie from scratch. In well, a they're all working. Okay. So in they're that all working instance, from what, like a, they're talking about character models. You have to stay on sheet. Okay. Right? And Marvel okay. for a while in the house style had sheets and sort of DC that you had to match the models that they provided a little different as the style goes on. But what we're talking about is the fact that, you know, if you look at Akira, say Otomo's like masterwork, what you can guarantee is he had assistants working on those backgrounds. Oh, okay, I get it, yeah. Because right? that takes a long time. That's the grind work, grind work right? right? Yeah. Uh, if you look at any of the comics built in the analog system, so many of those backgrounds, so many of the fills, so many, someone would bring on assistants, they would be completely uncredited. And someone actually showed me a list of people who should have been credited on what comics. One time I should dig that up. Um, just to shatter all of your dreams that everything is always perfect and connected. But uh, the point I'm making is that sometimes you would have, bring on an assistant who was really good at drawing trees. Hey, Dan, I hate drawing trees. You're fast at drawing trees. You draw all the trees in this comic for me, and I'll draw all of the cars in your book. And oh, they would yeah. swap <laughs> That's constantly. fair. I hate drawing cars. Right? But then you wouldn't credit No, no, that's true. That's because true. then you can't be paid. They have to split that pay. Okay. With your assistant. So the, there was a, you know, I was at UCLA and I did this talk on making comics and did all this stuff. And Howard Chaikin was one of the guests there too. And uh, he's an uh, inflammatory figure in comics. Uh, 
I'll just leave it there. But when we were talking process together, he was so transparent about his use of assistance that it was shocking. Like the crowd was shocked when he was like, oh, on that work, yeah, my assistant did this and I had someone else assemble this in 3D in a 3D program and then this and then this and then this and then I assembled it all and did the, the draw over and that's why my name is the biggest, mm -hmm. right? And a lot of people who don't understand commercial illustration, you could tell they're, they were angry uh -oh. and hurt by the idea that the presentation of everything as being under this one name is how it is. But any movie you ever saw where someone wrote, directed, and starred in it? No. Well, not only that, but in a movie, like there's set design, there's there's people wardrobe, there are people all no, doing different parts of that job, but they all get credit. Oh, they what's all his get name credit. from the office? We've talked about Jim. Um, John Krasinski. Yeah, what's the movie where they ever had to be quiet? Oh, uh, the Quiet Place. Quiet Place. It was a place where they went and they had to be quiet. In Except the quiet by the place. waterfall. Why didn't they just live by the waterfall? So if you watch only the promos of that film, everything is like written, directed, starring. Yes, John Jim Krasinski. Yeah. John, the however, sets too, and the monster designs. Well, and Jim. if you listen to his, uh, he did this great interview on the DGA podcast, Directors Guild of America, where he explains how he bought a script and then did a final rewrite of that script and that's why his name right, because the last person who does rewrites on the script gets, gets it all the doesn't credit. matter how many people right came up i with did that a script. bunch of scripts for a um true crime television series my name will never appear on but any you got database paid to do it right sure sure yeah. sure but what i'm what i'm talking about is the public perception is oh that person is responsible and is the genius behind that when sometimes they're the one that stepped in front of all the hard work that anyone else did and gave credit. Now, the reason that is that way is the union rules of the Writers Guild. Okay. It's not that someone is trying to steal it. It's that that is how I'm sure there's the some job cases works. where... Maybe there are some cases where some people abuse that right. Because yeah. how impressive is it when it's directed, starred, and written by the same yeah, of guy? Of course, yeah. Yeah, but but he's still being honest about I bought a script and telling yeah, he's not trying he to pretend is. that he is because Jim is like nice the heart of America. Guy. But and how many people <laughs> listen to that DGA podcast no, compared to how yeah. many people saw the promo of the film? Yeah, no, I, I get that. And yeah, a writer director is a as an actor is a it's a triple threat, right? So you yeah. can do all three. Um, but I feel that um, you know when you watch movies and you look at the credits of a film. Um, and you see, like, written by, and there's, like, four or five names there, like, as far as people who've written a script together, I always, for some reason, think it's going to be a bad script. That's people's perception right? also. Like, that's kind of, the, so I think that's part of the reason why they do that is because you want to have a clear kind of, this was written by this person, you know, that's a better uh, thing keep to it portray. Clean. Yeah, keep yeah. it clean. And it's, it seems more focused, although, you know, there could have been ten writers on that before that. And by the way, things get better with rewriting. Things get better. So if somebody else takes a stab at a script, it can get better. Like, yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's no, a, you're talking yeah. about just getting the credit for the work is what you're talking about. But for me, I'm like, well, that person got paid to write that. So they, they got their... They, so they don't deserve credit? Well, they, they, they receive payment for their services. So they don't deserve credit. If you've been paid, you don't need credit? Is that what you're saying? That is a, that's a dangerous premise. I'm saying that... <laughs> Um, if you went into it knowing that your name would not be on it in the end and you got paid for it, then it's fine. Do you so still, you accept the terms of your condition. Do you still get to use it in your portfolio? Can you say that you 
did that work? Even though when they look it up on IMDb, your name's nowhere to be seen. So I had to sign those, those shows that I wrote episodes for, and I was doing uh, first drafts. So I knew that it would be rewritten. Yeah. And the contract and the conversation I had with the producer was it would be rewritten. And when I said, well, will I get credit? They said, only if your draft is untouched. Which means Between no, here and screen. Never. Which means no. Right. But they didn't say that. They were still trying to obfuscate it because that's how the business works. Okay. Right? I knew better. I don't like that idea. I don't like the idea of being dishonest about it. Like, they should be up front and tell you this is the way it works. Well, they are being honest. If we don't change anything, your name will stay as the... And did you just say, what are the chances of that happening? No, I knew the chances. Okay, well. Right? I, you know. Uh, <laughs> and that was a particularly interesting project that just... It was a kind of a thrilling thing to be asked at the last second to write a bunch of stuff in the pinch... And now you have the experience of writing that, so you can do it again and, and learn from your mistakes and be better at it next time. Yeah, absolutely. So there's that. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I mean... I did it for the experience of doing it. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people who write those first draft scripts or when they sell the script, um, they have to sign away the ability to claim ownership of it. Yeah. So like it's just come out recently that the English adaptation, script adaptation of Princess Mononoke was in fact... Neil Gaiman. I didn't know that. Of course you didn't oh, know that. He was an uncredited writer Because at the time. Neil Gaiman was uncredited. But he was okay with that. No, he wasn't. He was not? No, he's okay. come out uh, like publicly to say like how it's irked him for decades. Okay. Right? But you don't shit where you eat either. Okay, yeah, of course. Right? So you when was that? How, when was that in his career that he did that? Uh, oh, he would have been famous from comics. Yeah, he would have. Okay, sure. so he'd have done Sandman and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So this is what I this is what I'm saying. Yes, he got paid, but there were three, and like the story that broke sort of this week about it was there were three executive producers whose names went into the credits instead of the actual writer's name. We've got to get past those golems. Yes, but how? It's, it's funny, especially with those animated. Um, anime movies that originate in Japan and are written in Japanese and are and having the English I don't think a lot of people care about who who writes the English versions of that you know what I mean like but it's, Princess it's just, Mononoke is particularly well, yeah is an exceptional mm. adaptation yeah and for the dear listeners wondering how do you adapt a film script why don't you just follow it is because the subtleties of one language don't translate yeah, necessarily to the other There's so many bad translations and it's not and you could you could do a direct translation but oh, it has to match the dub. Has to match the number of times the lips are moving. I can't believe the cast of the the voice cast of the uh, English. Okay. Yeah, um, Billy Bob Thornton, yeah. Yeah. a mini driver, Claire Danes, uh, Billy Crudup, uh, Doctor Manhattan himself is in yeah. this one. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, it's a great. It's Keith right. David. Oh my God. If you have, not, he's so good though. Keith yeah. David's got an amazing voice. Julian Anderson. Studio Ghibli. Yeah, Julian Anderson's amazing. And Studio Ghibli's masterwork, I think, is Prince. I, yeah, it's very good. I did, but again, when I watched it, I didn't know any of this. Didn't know whose voices it was. It was like 1990. What is it? 97, 97-ish. Yeah, 97. So I mean, I was working at a blockbuster video at the time, and it came out, and I now I isn't it. it a little bit frustrating? Uh, okay, I won't say is it as if it's a question to you. I'll simply state my position. I find it frustrating that Julian Anderson who just read a script in her voice is credited, but not the person who wrote the words that she is saying. Okay. That seems to me a troublesome precedent to be set. But you, we also keep referring to it's a movie by Studio 
Ghibli. Yeah. When really there's hundreds of names. Also the, true. Right? Yeah, so true. So and who wrote the original script? Do I can I name them? No. So I'm a hypocrite again. That's two hypocrite points in this podcast. <laughs> um so we're just a bunch of uh whew, we're now just a bunch of pop culture. This is why we don't sit around critiquing other people's so works on this show because you fall into the you fall down this rabbit hole of immediately throwing shade. Well they've kinda they kinda do it where the movie starts and it goes a film by Marvel and that's all it says. <laughs> yeah. And then at the very dun, end dun, dun, dun. they dun, list the thousands of names and they still distill it a little bit, but yeah. I'm looking up A Quiet Place to see if it won the Oscars. Because here's where it gets sticky. So John Krasinski is credited with the screenplay. John, Three people, actually. John Krasinski, Scott Beck, and Brian Woods are credited with the uh, screenplay for A Quiet Place. Ironically, because it's very little dialogue in this movie. <laughs> right. But of course, it also includes all the other direction and everything. Um, but um, And it was nominated for a bunch of awards. It didn't win anything. It looks mm. like it only won one award for the AFI Awards Movie of the Year. And, they, and all the other awards nominated for a Saturn, nominated for a Bram Stoker Award. I didn't even know that was a thing. Oh yeah, cool. it's a thing. Um, yeah. But what about now? If you had been, if you I had was take... almost nominated for a Stoker, you were? Yeah, close, oh, very, very close. Cool. I was told, very close. One day, yeah, one day, one day. Um, so, uh, but here's the thing. So the person who originally came up with this idea, like the script he bought, already had the idea of it being quiet. Mm-hmm. This is going to bring us all around back to derivative things in a right. second. I'll get there. Um, so that person who came up with the original idea does not get credit for this. He's in a coffee shop right now telling all the other screenwriters on their laptops, like, hey, I, I created Quiet I wrote, Place. I wrote a Quiet that? Place. Remember that movie everyone loved? Shut up, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. And I, I, we had this conversation at FanQuest when I bought your um, Dave the Triffids um, right. poster. Which is the derivative work. Which is... Dave Hypocrite the, point number three. Did, Dave, well, that was a... I see no, that I'm more, di- my work is No, derivative. but I see it as a tribute. Like, that's a tribute to Dave the Triffids. Right. It was a movie poster for... Like, well, let's be honest. The movie wasn't great. But... Um, Every tribute is derivative work. Yeah, but, they, but A Quiet Place... Is derivative of Dave the Triffids, Absolutely. and is and so is the um, what's the one the blindfolded one? Um, oh, that was terrible. No, but what was it called with uh, Sandra Bullock? Uh, Bird Box. Bird Box. Bird Box. Both in Dave the Triffids, plants come to life, and you can't see because there's been a meteor storm and everyone's gone blind. Most of the world has gone blind, and you can't make any noise because these plants respond to sound. Yeah. So those two ideas are in Dave the Triffids, yeah. years, decades, and decades before these hit movies came out um you know so it's all again it's all a remix everything's a remix yeah yeah and i don't it doesn't take anything away like a remix doesn't take anything away no, not at all sometimes it makes it better the accomplishment of the other thing but it does um call into question these positions that some creators have of their unassailable genius yeah and well. i think that's why it's so precarious for many of them why they are like you know and we've all seen and heard the stories of people who have the freakouts at shows because somebody asks them a question like hey doesn't that isn't that just Battlestar Galactica you know didn't I see that episode somewhere and they'll freak out because no I'm a genius no I'm so original no I'm so great I feel like you know that is them not facing their own demons and just being like yeah I get my ideas from the world that yeah. I live in. 
And by the way, many, many people, we have, we've had this conversation before about the... So this is a derivative work from a previous episode. It is. <laughs> it is. But uh, it was the film that we watched with the um, uh, mother. Was it Mother with the robot uh, mother? Oh, yes. the babies? film. Yeah. Uh, it was very good. And again, but it was very sim- similar imagery. I thought there was some similar imagery to Red Earth. Um, totally. As, as far as like the babies being grown in a test tube kind of a thing. And I was and- <laughs> I, initially like... I am watching this film. I'm like, I just wrote, we just wrote this play. And here <laughs> well, it's it is. exactly the same. Right. But, and but then as soon elements. as it pivots away, yeah. it's like, oh, but you see what you're looking for. Yes. So if you have just seen Red Earth, you only see the things that line up in there. But if you had never seen it, you wouldn't see the comparison. Like if you saw, like someone who saw uh, Mother today who had seen Red Earth months ago, probably would not make those same immediate comparisons, mm-hmm. right? You would see whatever you're into. But Mother is actually just a remix of the Garden of Eden story. It's a derivative work uh, from the Bible. From the Bible, there you go, which is the original story, right? right. Also, story. dear listener, well, do yourself a favor. The Bible is a derivative work. Don't get me started <laughs> on this. Uh, take a second and search time-lapse of the Mother costume suit-up. Oh, it's so there's, cool. a, there's a guy in that suit. No, I know. And it's so good. The uh, the costume is amazing. We saw the prop. It was in, or maybe you didn't go see it. It was in San Diego. I'm pretty oh. sure that's where, yeah, it was there. The oh. whole, the Weta workshop booth was there and they had the original props and a bunch of the stages of completion all in this like installation you can see. It's a great example of how practical effects are much better than CGI in many cases because mm-hmm. that was a practical effect, that robot. But in some shots where you see more robots, larger, you could tell that it was a CGI, right? But... And it was fairly obvious. Yeah. If you, when you see them two side by side, um, it's fairly obvious it was CGI. Brings us back to um, the Jim Henson workshop. Yeah, there Practical you go. effects are more magical. There you go. Even though you know they're fake. What was the name of the... What was the Netflix movie that, um, that Lyndon was upset about because it was very similar to um, his comic? Titan. Titan, was that it? Were they yeah. super no. The premise is similar, but not the delivery. And no. it's the singer, not the song, right? Yeah. Like, okay, well, let's, let's, I'm going to challenge you to tell me a new origin story for Superman. Where can Superman land that makes him a different person? We've, we've talked about this. He, he lands in Gotham City. Yeah, no, no, no. Not one that's already happened. <laughs> Let's um, immediately make a derivative work. The Wild West. The like wild, wild West Superman. Oh, yeah. that'd be so cool. Right? Way back in the day. Yeah. So that would... And your mind is immediately filling in all the gaps of the tropes of the Wild Ooh, West. What about you know. Spider-Man before tall buildings? That'd be boring. <laughs> well, they made that joke in Homecoming, right? Yeah. He's like trying to cross a golf course. He's yeah. like, this sucks. He's got to run across the golf course. <laughs> yeah, just sprinting. So, okay. So what if Spider-Man was raised by the Kents? Yeah. Yeah. Right? What if it's a spider? What if it's aliens from a spider world that their spider ship lands on the farm and he well, grows think, up with spider powers? I think the point we need to make is if and the somebody comes in, for spider. <laughs> Dan comes in with this spider alien script and hands me one and hands you one, and we go to work for the next five to eight months. Yes. And we end up with two books. Nobody's going to confuse those books yeah, because absolutely. they're going to be completely before, yes. different. And the, yes. and the book that I'm doing for a company I'm still not is allowed to name. I actually checked last week if I'm allowed to uh, talk about the development. But my NDA 
currently prohibits me from discussing where Arena City is placed. But Arena City, I can talk about the book itself, is a derivative work. It's everything I love about 80s action movies. It's everything I love about um, the wushu, like the, um, the high-flying kung fu films. Oh, yeah. And everything that I love about cyberpunk dystopias all rolled into one story. It's just every bit of that imagery that I have ever wanted to illustrate, I'm putting into that story and then trying to figure out the story that makes that possible. That's excellent. I think it's a great way to go at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and but it's the, derivative. Well, who cares? Who cares? It's, it's a good story. And I think all of these things we've talked about are good stories. And, and even when I think about the idea of Superman in the Wild West, I'm like, that is a great idea for a story. That you know, and the, the if the point of it is as Batman I hope, in the Wild West would be better. It would be better, yes. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a Ninja Batman. Have you seen that? It's on Netflix. Yes. It's like an anime looking thing. I haven't thing. seen it. Yeah, but... it's on Netflix. It's good. Mm. Um, but um, if uh, if if the goal is to tell a good story, then that there's okay. It's okay to be derivative. It's okay to to borrow from other things to make something new, as long as you're not directly copying it, right? Yes. Or, or as long as your intent is not to confuse people. Into thinking that it's something else, like mm-hmm. we talked about the the Steam Trek, like Atlantic yeah. Rim, right? Like yeah, well, that, Rim that, comes yeah, out. that's the that's what someone trying to take advantage of a popular or the Transmorphers, yes, which is like you know, and it's a degree, not a category. Like I'm looking across the studio here at this big Papa Bear a canvas that I did. It's a giant bear man holding a blunderbuss yeah. with a. Uh, red vampire skull. skull oh, it's a vampire his, skull, yeah. Right? And the idea is, like, everyone recognizes when I... And it's just a big bear man with a gun until I put the words Papa Bear on it. And now every time you ever heard the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears comes to mind. And then you transpose that across this and ask yourself, like, what the heck happened to this Papa Bear? Which is the <laughs> point. But it's a derivative word. That's okay. Right? Sounds like a dirty word. Derivative. Do, yeah, when you bring You're when so most people bring that up, aren't they trying to like it's a knock against it's a negative? What, yes, yeah. like absolutely. the way we use ignorance now, right? Ignorance mm. just means not knowing, but we use it as if like you should have known better. Yeah, no, and people can be ignorant and uh, through no fault of their own, right? Yeah. They can be ignorant because they were not taught. Ta- and so you something. can make derivative works out of ignorance, and you're not trying to rip off some other thing. Like this sketch I was doing here this is a derivative work out of ignorance of my own. Right. Backstory. The Count has created a weapon. A weapon so vast, so huge, that it would take a whole planet to conceal it. I did a series about a year ago called 3029 where it was oh, yeah. and then robots everyone in else. suits. Yeah. And everybody's like, oh, this is just like that short run comic book series. Dodd for- Complex or something? What was it called? Oh, But some- anyway, everyone yeah. online was like, oh. Are you ripping off this guy's idea? And Justin had just been working away in the studio on his own little thing. No idea, right? It was no a idea. very, like, yeah. yeah, it wasn't a big run. It was a very yeah. short little graphic novel that only had, like, one issue yeah. kind of thing. But, like, it was spot on, like, the same kind of concept. This is not a problem that's that's uh, isolated to comics either or films. Um, there was the recently the story about, um, I believe it was Katy Perry, and someone sued her because her song sounded like their song. Mm, and they, right. they apparently won, which is not great. Um, There's an algorithm. I watched a documentary about this, so I'm speaking, again, out of ignorance. Not out well, of, you watch uh, a documentary, right? which is more than I've seen. <laughs> uh, that there is a, there's an actual note-for-note like percentage where if your song matches a certain number of they notes. They have a formula. They like, have a formula because it comes up so often. 
Yeah, because it, again, people just kind of take the same. You know, they all have this, a similar training in, in music. Yeah. They learn the same way at the beginning, and you come up with similar fra- riffs and similar. Well, and not only that, but the human emotional spectrum responds to certain sound cues. Yeah. So yeah. if you're trying to elicit a certain, this is what I'm saying. Certain works of art are the answer to a question. It's just like an equation, right? Yeah. If I Brightburn is a good example of that we were talking about the horror movie equation. People who watch horror movies, a lot of people who are into horror movies want the kill. So the equation is, if we want people to respond the way they do to other horror movies, we're gonna do a close up on this piece of glass in this woman's eye while she tries to pull it out. Sorry that you had to imagine that. Right, look at your face. It's horrible. And the tugging of that glass Uh, on her eye, and the surface tension of her eye jiggling as Uh, she's trying to get the glass out, right? I'm describing it to you now and it's horrible. But that scene's also pretty much in the trailer, so it wasn't a spoiler. Right, yeah. (laughs) But the reason I bring this up is that if you're trying to create the emotional response of a horror movie, there are some things that people do all the time. Eye wounds are in a lot of horror movies. Did you also notice there is, there's a kill in Brightburn that is almost identical, identical to uh, a kill in The Boys? The Boys? I did finish The Boys. Okay, yeah. so you've seen the end of Brightburn. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh. well, yeah. Sort of. But it's it's exactly like, they. I'm sure they had nothing to do with each other. Yeah. These studios never connected. Nobody mm-hmm. ever talked. But it was just like, what are some cool ways, if Superman was going to kill some people... How, How would some, he do it in some interesting some cool ways? Visuals? Well, okay, so so we all three of us would come up with the same ideas independent, and they'd match, you know. But yeah. but the thing is, and it's all coming from the idea of Superman's powers, which include okay, yeah. Um, so well, let's let's talk about his, generally his powers to fly, super yeah. strength, and vulnerability. Um, he's speed. got the, the speed, the mm-hmm. ice breath. Is that an ice breath or just strong breath? Sometimes, yeah. Is they, it? Uh, yeah. And, and laser eyes, yes. like the laser eyes. Yeah. So all these things are kind of come up, come up with in the 30s or whenever they made Superman. and Or did they add to it? Maybe they, I felt like they added to it. His powers were added to I on feel a like pretty regular basis. At first he couldn't even fly. Yeah, he, he just, just jumped. Yeah. Um, so, so it's like they thought of this. And so what does he use his like, laser eyes for in the comic book originally? Just to get people free from things. Yeah, usually yeah. he's cutting girders. It's yeah, like right. So you never think yeah. about him like actually shooting a person with he it. He never shoots people. Yeah. No. Yeah. Unless or, they're invulnerable and so that it can make sparks off them. When well, he's like, yeah, but somehow he knows only to shoot invulnerable people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he but, has x-ray vision, so I guess he can tell. Yeah. <laughs> They can take it. X-ray vision, that's the other one that he has. So, uh, so all these kind of ideas of the, these powers that Superman has, these, these properties of boys and, and Brightburn are kind of taking this and twisting it. Like, what would he do if he was not a great person kind of mm-hmm. thing? Like, Brightburn is basically the idea of if the child was a sociopath... Yeah, but he had Superman's had powers. No consequences, literally. Yeah. Like you're yeah. Superman, there are no consequences. But, and, but we talked about this off air before, and you guys said this this film has nothing to do with uh, Warner Brothers. No, nope. nothing to do with any, any of the studios that own Superman, the nope. rights to Superman. So, wouldn't you be upset if you were? Now I know we were talking about derivative works being okay, but if you were the studio, wouldn't you be upset about this film being out there? No, so there is so. this other argument that derivative works point back to the source. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So as long as it is not going to be confused with the original work, you have a, a copyright claim. Uh, for example, Mark Miller did this. So Mark Miller did a comic book called Nemesis. And when he originally marketed it, he marketed it in the following way. What if Batman was the Joker? Oh, okay. It was an image comic called Nemesis with a guy in a Batman suit, except there was no ears and it was white. 
Okay. So, but he was exactly Batman's suit. Okay. Right? And he was had this big evil grin on it, and he had, like, smeared his face in blood or something, so he had, like, the red lips, and that was the original ads for it. He got a cease and desist immediately from uh, DC, like, do not compare your comic directly to our comics well, to you, market you, your you comic. Get, you can't yeah. do that in the marketing materials. You can do it to pitch it to somebody. But he had just done it online, but the way that comics... Media. He and Mark Miller understands comic media. It went everywhere. Right. And then the story of him being told, don't do this, went, went everywhere. everywhere. And it was a derivative work. But DC also had a character named Nemesis. Oh, okay. And so it had to be retitled Mark Miller's Nemesis <laughs> so that it wouldn't be confused or conflated with an existing comic book character, Nemesis. Now, yeah. why you can do that with a character like Nemesis is Nemesis is the name of a Greek god. It's a it's a public domain word. Right. Yes, exactly. Right? Yeah, mm -hmm. just like the word cat or dog. You can have a superhero named the cat or the dog or the squirrel or the whatever. Oh, the squirrel! I want to see that comic are, book. Squirrel girl oh, can be girl, trademarked, yes. but the squirrel she beat up Thanos one time. Run time. So <laughs> there's this whole idea of that if it doesn't that it does point back, but you can't make the claim that it's like that in your marketing yeah that's fair i think that's a fair thing to do right yeah it's fair but it's complicated ah, it's, it's all good and again just make good stories just create good stories yeah. who cares where they come from <sighs> who cares where they come from yeah i think that's, that's, that's uh, like once i became okay with that like starting out like coming from more of a like traditional fine arts background i felt like I had the restrictor plates on, right? Like you can't take any ideas from anywhere else. Like it all has to be original. And if it's not 100% original, like don't do it. And so I feel like I probably, like it stunted my development because I tried actively to like just do my own thing. Right, and whereas not some fine arts educations are about copying the old master. Trying right? to like, duplicate, yeah. right? Can you paint like Cezanne? Can you yeah. paint like Monet? See Can how you... he did this? Yeah. Like, let's learn to do that trick. Yeah, and yeah, other yeah. people are like, no, that's cheating. That's tracing. That's yeah. tracing. You know, yeah. What a tracer. Yeah. <laughs> You're just a tracer. Yeah, just a tracer. Tracing artwork. Um... <laughs> Yeah, wow. I think we're good. We, yeah. How did we... This was a good conversation yeah, it was. that what started as the preamble. Dear listener, what we normally do is we talk a little bit to get warmed up on the mics just to make sure that the levels are okay. And then we start our episode. But the warm-up conversation became the whole conversation. And this has been Super Pulp Science where we talked about how genre got made. I am encouraging you to write your own stories, derivative or otherwise. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Join the fight and make comments.